gotta give a shout out to this band. Can we just give a shout out to the band? They do such an awesome job. I mean, these individuals, Danae goes from the keys to the mic. We've got uh, PJ who goes from the bass to the drums. We've got uh, uh, Zachary who jumps from place to place. And it's just so incredible how talented these individuals are. For me, I have no musical talent. I've got nothing except for listening. That's a musical talent, right? I, I think it is. I can listen to music very good, but I don't have a uh, musical talent. I remember Christine, about five, six years ago, convinced me to sing a duet with her. So she was singing at this church, and she goes, you know, Muta, why don't you sing with me? And I'm like, girl, I can't sing. And she was like, no, yeah, you can. I've heard you. You can do it. And so we're at this church, and my dad just so happened to be preaching that day. He's not a pastor, but he had the opportunity to teach at this church. So he had asked Christine to come and sing for him. And so first of all, I knew it was a bad sign when I got up with her, and he gave me that father look like, what in the world are you doing? Like, why are you walking up there with her? So I get up there, and we sing this song, and afterwards, I get off stage, and I go to my little niece, and I'm saying, hey, how did I do? And if she says, if she was on American Idol, she says, I'm sorry, Uncle, you are not going to Hollywood. Kids will tell you the absolute truth, and I realize that though I did my best, that's just not my talent. That's not what I can do. In fact, I've I've tried other things. I tried to play the piano. I remember I was in, like, seventh grade, and my parents uh, spent all this money to get me piano lessons. But the lady who was teaching me piano lessons, I mean, she had this British accent, and British accents are pretty nice. But when you're in the seventh grade, and you've had all day, and you've had practice, and you're at the end of the day, and you're just kind of drained, and she's got this slow British accent, and she said, put your fingers like this. And I would be sitting there just straight falling asleep, knocking out. She'd be like, what are you doing? I can do it. So there goes my uh, music capabilities, but I wish I could sing or play an instrument. I really do wish I could do that, but let's be serious. There's a difference between wishing and hoping. There's a difference between wishing and hoping. Here goes the reality. I have no hope in playing a musical instrument. Do you know why? Because I won't take the time to learn it. Because I won't take the time to learn it, I have no hope. I'm not going to just get up one day and get to the piano and start playing it because I'm not putting any action towards it. And for many of us, we're living our lives believing that we're hoping for something, but in reality, we're just wishing for it. We say stuff like, you know, I'm just hoping and praying. No, what we're doing is we're wishing And then asking God to be this uh, genie that we rub, that when we pray about this thing, all of a sudden it's going to materialize. We're too busy wishing because there's a difference between wishful thinking and hopeful action. Let me tell you two things about wishing. Wishing comes from a place of lack. Wishing comes from a place of of a mindset of we don't believe the thing that we're wishing for is obtainable. So all we'll do is wish for it. I wish I can win a million dollars. I wish I can have this house. I wish I can be as smart as somebody else. I was talking to a family member not too long ago, 
And this situation came up. So as I'm talking to this family member, uh, I'm on the phone with them, and they're saying, you know, I just, I, I just wish I could have a full income. I wish I could make some more money. And, you know, as, as she was saying all these things, I, I started thinking, I was like, real quick question. Let me ask you a real question. What are you hoping for in life? What are things that you truly hope for? And she says, you know, I hope my kids grow up to learn to love God. I, I hope that uh, my kids do good in school. And, you know, I hope to have a more organized life. And I asked her, I said, so what are you doing to make these things a reality? What tangible things are you doing to make these things a reality? She says, well, you know, I do homework with my kids when they get home from school. I schedule my day. I know exactly what I'm going to do throughout the day. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that my kids uh, grow to love Jesus. So I try to pray with them every single day. I said, that's awesome. So let's go back to your wishing of wanting a steady income and wishing to have more money. What are you doing to work towards that. And it got quiet on the phone. And this is the thing that I told her. I said, do you believe you're going to be able to make more money? Do you believe that you're going to get a steady income? And these words came out of her mouth, not in this season. So she just canceled out the reality of what she could have because in her mind she believed it was unattainable so she stopped at wishful thinking. The things that she wanted to happen, the things that she believed could happen, she hoped for and she worked towards. But the things that she thought, you know, I'm in a lack, I'm in a place where I don't have anything and I don't think I'll be able to achieve anything, she just didn't work on it. She just, I prayed about it. So that's the first thing about wish, wishing. Wishing comes from a place of lack, and then wishing also comes from a victim's mentality. And we see this in the story that we've been studying through the book of Ruth. Naomi, this woman, there's a famine in the land, and so she runs away with her family to a foreign land. Her husband dies, her kids die, and now she's got nothing. She's stuck with uh, two uh, women who are, who've been married by her sons, and now both of her sons die. So she decides, you know what, I'm going to go back home where I come from, where my land is. And so she moves towards that direction, and In the process, she loses one of the daughters, and she gets back to the place, and everybody says, Naomi's back, and she says, don't call me Naomi, because that means hopeful. That means uh, somebody who has much. It means peace. It means joy. It means happiness. Call me Mara, because I'm bitter right now. I wish my situation would change, but God has cursed me. God has put his hand on me, so I'm just going to sit here in this pit and be depressed. John Piper gives this quote. He says, the effects of depression is the inability to move purposely and hopefully in the future. Wishing leaves you stuck. When all you're doing is wishing, there's nothing changing. You are not motivated because it comes from a place of lack and it comes from a victim's mentality. But then hope came and showed up for Naomi. 
Her daughter-in-law goes to work on this land, and it just so happens that this land is a family member's land, and this guy is so loving to Ruth, who's her daughter-in-law, and he's giving her so much, and he's providing for her, and he's giving her special treatment that she realizes two things. One, this guy is not only our family member, but he's for our good. He's working for our favor. And in that moment, she sees the silver lining. That God is at work in her life. God has not forgotten about her. Look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 20 of Ruth. She says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now that she found a semblance of hope, now that she saw the silver lining, she was ready to move forward. How do we know? Because in the very next verse, in the very next chapter, it picks up the story. In the Bible that we have, these are breakdowns that people have uh, broken down, the the chapter breakdown, so so that we can understand the stories a little better. But if you read uh, the the Hebrew Bible, you know there's no chapter breakdowns. And so check this out. So she goes from talking about, I'm depressed, I've got nothing, God has his hand on me, to, oh my gosh, God is looking out for me, so I've got a sense of hope. In chapter 3, we dive into there right now. She goes, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Ruth is still young. She's still single. She, her, her husband has died. She's got no kids. So her mom is like, man, should I look for you to be rested? Should I look for a family for you? I should look for a husband for you. I, sh- I need to help you get into a better situation in your life. She says that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz, the guy who she's working in his field, is not Boaz our relative whose young women you were? So she she was out there working in the fields, hanging out with Boaz's women who were out getting grain and all of that in the field. She says, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So hope has immediately allowed Naomi to look forward and start putting together a plan to get themselves into a better situation. She says, this guy, your relative, is out there, he's working, and there's this big pad, this this concrete slab, what what it would have looked like. He was out there throwing the wheat in the air, separating the wheat from the grain, so he's out there doing some hard work, and they usually did this in the evening to take uh, into account the nice uh, breeze that comes in the evening, and so He's out there working, and she says, go get dressed. Go wash yourself. And the implications of this, she's really telling her, go prepare yourself like you're about to get married. I need you to put all the spices and the perfumes, dress yourself up, because all this time she's been grieving a lost husband, and every single time Boaz has seen her, he's seen her dirty, sweaty, tired, frustrated, has been working all day. And she was like, I need, you, I need him to see you in a different light. I need you to put yourself together. Girl, go look like you come from somebody. Go get dressed. Go get ready. And then she goes into this 
Next verse, verse 4, she says, But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. So she's kind of telling her, like, go all stalkerish right now. Just go kind of watch this dude. Then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. It's interesting. I got to note this. So the way this was written in the Hebrew, like, these are these innuendos that they're, like, these sexual innuendos. So the person who's reading this for the first time is like, Ruth has been all pure. Like, she's been great this whole time. Like, what is she doing? Like, is her mom setting her up for this? Like, where do they do this at? So, but when he lies down, observe the text where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Listen to how Ruth replies. She replied, all that you say, I will do. Ruth is ready. She's like, I'm, you got the plan, lady. I'm tired of being single. If this is going to work, let's do it. So she's all for it. But this is what we realize, guys. Hope, hope leads to purposeful action. That's point number one on your teaching sheets. Hope leads to purposeful action. When Naomi was depressed and sad, she couldn't do anything. She was crippled. But then when she saw the silver lining, when she saw God was at work, and for some of us, we need to be looking for where God is at work. We may be sitting in hopeless situations. We may be looking at situations where we're like, I just don't understand how we're going to get out. I don't understand how it's going to get better. But as we shared in the last message in this series is there's always a silver lining in every trial. There's always a silver lining, especially if you're a child of God. God will show you something that you can hold on to. And if anything else, you can hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ says, in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's your silver lining. And when you've got the silver lining, you know that it can lead to hope, and hope always leads to purposeful action. So we go verse 6 through 8. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So she's out there. She's sneaking around. It's dark outside. Everybody's sleeping. She's peeping. She's watching Boaz. She did everything her mother commanded her. Verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he's full. He's had something to drink. He's great. He's feeling good. He's ready to go lay down. He went to lay down at the end of the heap of grain. So in, in this time and age, all of your grain was susceptible to robbery. And it's like, you know, you had the haves and you had the have nots. And so what a lot of the the people used to do, the people who owned these lands, they would sleep on the very place that they're uh, separating the wheat and and the grains. So this was a a a, a type of security. Naomi knew that he was going to be there because she knew that Boaz was going to try to protect his field. So I know exactly where he's going to be and I know exactly what time he's going to be there. And so she knows what's happening. It says that she came softly and then covered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, true story. I'm in college. We have people at the house. 
there's a young lady there who's been, you know, she's been flirting with me. She's been trying to get to know me. And so she hangs out at the house every time my buddy has people over. She was cool. She was one of the girls that we just kind of hung out with. And so she came and she was at the house and she had been there all day and then she had left and then she had come back. And so everything was all good. I'm not thinking nothing of it. And I'm one of those people. My dad was in insurance and my dad locks everything. My dad is like always freaks out. Like you got to lock the car door. You got to lock the house door. You got to lock the bedroom door. Is all the lights turned off when you're leaving the house? Unplug all the uh, Like that's my dad. So I got that from my father. So I go into my room at night. We got our apartment. There's people still at the house. And then uh, I'm like, you know, I got to go to sleep. I go into my room and I lock the door like I usually do. Now go to sleep at night. True story. I wake up like two, three o'clock in the morning and she's laying in my bed next to me. And I'm like, what in the world? This crate, what? So I get up and I'm like, what are you doing? How did you get in my bed? And she goes, well, I had a key to your room. How the heck did you have a key to my room? She was like, well, I made a copy of it. That's creepy. Let's just say she never was ever allowed in my house ever again. But check out how Boaz responds. Boaz was a little nicer than I was. He said, who are you? Verse 9. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. These words are super important here. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. I'm the one who's been working in the fields. Spread your wings over me. And this word wings has two meanings. One, it means your garment. Like literally, spread your garment, the thing that you're covering yourself, over me. And what that symbolically means in this day and age, when somebody was ready to get married, when a man wanted to marry a woman, he would come and he would put his robe over her. Symbolically saying that I am taking you on. I promise to cover you. I promise to be with you. And at the same time, that's what she's asking him. She says, put your robe over me. I'm coming to you. I'm coming willingly. You can have me. I want to be your wife. I want to be in your protection. And it's interesting that she says that because this is not just something random. She knows that he's a redeemer, and we've talked about this in past messages. A redeemer is somebody in your family that if you've lost all you have, if you're working as an indentured slave, uh, servant or people have taken your land or you've lost your property, this person in your family can come and pay for it and get it back for you. If you, have, uh, if you are a woman and you don't have a child and you've been married and you're now a widow, a family member of that person, your husband's family, can come and marry you. And when they have a child, that child is symbolically your husband's, your late husband's child. So that the name of your husband can continue to perpetuate and his land can stay in his family. So she says, I know you're a redeemer. I know that you are a savior. I know that you can make things better for me. And I'm giving myself to you willingly. And some of us need to just come to Jesus that same way. We need to be able to come to him and say, you know what? I've tried everything else. I've been everywhere else. And I've realized I've lost everything. And you are the only one who can redeem my life. You're the only one who can redeem my pride. You can only can redeem my sexuality because I've given that away. You can redeem every part that's broken that Satan has stolen out of my life. Every addiction, every 
uh, uh, wish that I have can turn into hope because of you, Jesus. I'm giving myself willingly to you. And so she's giving herself willingly to him. But this was a calculated move. She knows exactly what she's doing. This is not just a random act. In chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz had said something to her. Look at it. I think we've got the verse. This is what he said in verse, uh, when he first met Ruth. He had heard all the good things about Ruth, and he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he's saying, may the Lord bless you because you've willingly given yourself to the Lord. Ruth was somebody who didn't, wasn't a believer in God. But she accepted the God of the Israelites and she gave herself willingly to him. And Boaz sees this and he says, man, this is commendable. And I pray that God blesses you. But in effect, what ends to happen is he starts taking on this role for her. He starts blessing her. He's given her special treatment. He's already symbolically taken her under his wings. He's taken care of her. He's promised that she will always be taken care of as long as she stays in his field. And this time, she says, you know what? You've already been acting as my redeemer. You've already been acting as the one who's taking care of me. So I'm just going to give myself all the way over to you. And she did this, and it was part of the plan. Because purpose for action, point number two. So hope, point number one is hope leads to purposeful action. And point number two, purposeful action is calculated and not random. She just wasn't randomly showing up at this dude's house. She wasn't just randomly putting herself in a situation where she's like, I don't know how it's going to go. She was like, he already has an eye for me. He's already checking me out. So I'm going to come over here and I'm going to see if this is really real what I'm sensing from him. Purposeful action is calculated and not random. And the request that she gives is pretty bold. Because one of two things can happen. She's already shown up at this dude's house, gotten under his covers. He could either be like, oh, see, every good thing that I heard about you is just thrown out the window. You're just one of those girls. He could have easily just thrown her off to the side. She could, she could have been embarrassed in this time. Somebody would have seen her coming and like, hey, remember that girl who's been working in the fields? Dude, she's following you. But at this point, she was bold. She moved boldly because hope led to boldness for her. Things could have gone really bad. And for a lot of us, the reasons why we don't want to move forward, the reasons why we don't want to pursue whatever we want to pursue, the reason why we stay in this point of wishing it's because we get stuck in what's called, I love this, this quote, I've, I've always heard this, I heard it a long time ago, in the paralysis of analysis. We're too busy thinking about what's going to happen if he says no? What's going to happen if she doesn't uh, accept the date? What happens if I go for this job and I don't get it? What happens if I fail? That's not hope. I love what it says in Hebrews 4.16. The writer of Hebrews tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When was the last time you asked God for something bold? 
When was the last time you did something bold because you believed God was leading you towards that direction? When was the last time you said, I'm going to press forward, not going to be afraid of what the circumstances are going to be. I'm just going to press forward and be bold about this thing that I want to do. Or are you too busy wishing in disbelief? I just wish. I wish it would change. I wish things would get better. What we learn from this bold act from Ruth is hope brings about boldness and not fear. So when we hope something's going to happen, we go for it. We don't sit back passively and wait. All right, let's get through the rest of this text. Verse number 10, and he said, May you be blessed, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. He's like, look, this, this honor that you've given me to marry you, this is, this is, just, this is incredible. Because you've, you've, you could have gone after any guy in my field. You could have gone after the next rich guy, but you picked me because you know that by me taking you on, it affects your entire family. You're making a decision that's going to bless Naomi, that's going to bless your, your, your dead husband's family. He says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He's like, everybody knows, all of my buddies know that you are the ideal wife. We've been watching you, girl. I've been checking you out. I've been seeing you working in that field. I see your dedication. I see, how, I see how you walk. I see how you've been taking care of things. I see how such a hard worker you are. Girl, that's right. I've been looking at you. I got you. I'll take care of this. I, I'm in this. We're seeing eye to eye. I see you. And he says in verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. And this is the point of the movie where it goes, dun, dun, dun. Oh, man. She shows up. She's like, I've just given myself over to you. He's like, girl, you look good. Man, I've been checking you out. But there's nothing I can do about it right now. There's somebody who's closer to you than me. So I've got to take a step back. And isn't it awesome? I, I read a commentary where it said, Boaz, for the sake of righteousness, holds off on something that he could have had readily. Singles in here. Boaz could have had her that night. He could have been like, girl, let's on. Let's get it on right now. Barry White flipped on. Let's do this. But for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of treating her with respect and honor, he was like, you know what? Let me wait. I want this to be real. I don't, I don't want to just take you because I can. We can learn a lot from that. He says, and now it is true that, I'm, that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer closer, uh, nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. So it went like this. If your husband dies, your brother can marry you. If he had no brother, your uncle could marry you. And if it wasn't your uncle, if you didn't have an uncle, your cousin could marry you. 
And if your cousin can marry you, then somebody's going to have to marry you. Somebody in the family is going to marry you. And so we don't know where he's at in this process, but he's like, hey, there's somebody closer to you than I, so let's wait. Just go ahead and sit tight. Remain tonight. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, he gives her a solemn promise. And this was big for people in those days. This was a solemn oath. He was like, if I don't do this, then curse be my name. He's like, I'm going to go for this all the way. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay, verse 14, at his feet until the morning. And that's awesome. I just, I like that. She stayed at his feet. He didn't like, all right, girl, go ahead and cozy up next to me. He didn't put himself in temptation. He was just like, no, stay at your feet, girl. I need you as far away from me as possible. She stays at his feet until the morning before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known, (coughs) excuse me, that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And this is how she responds. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, verse 17, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. See, Boaz is smart. He was like, girl, you're not from around these parts. You wouldn't have known to come and say those words to me. Somebody is working with you on this deal, and I kind of think that it's your mother-in-law. So give your mother-in-law this message. Take this grain, take all of this back with you, and when she opens it up and she sees this, and you tell her that he says, it's not good that you go back without giving some to your mother-in-law, that is a code word for saying, I got you, I hear you, and I will do what you've asked me to do. I will fulfill this Redeemer's role in your life. And isn't it awesome that when we come to God, that he always gives us more than we can ask, think, or imagine? She shows up. All she wanted was him to marry her. But he puts a cherry on top and says, take this with you. Get some more food in your belly because, I don't know, somebody else may come and redeem you and you may not be able to work in my field anymore. God always gives us more than we can think or imagine. We come to God and we say, God, I need this. And in his sovereignty says, ooh, I'll do you one better. And a lot of times when we get to that end, she was like, well, I got this barley. This is great and good, but you may not marry me. No, she not only got to marry him, spoiler alert, and... She got some barley on top of that. God will always give you more than you came to ask for because God loves us that much. But in verse 18, you can tell, just just imagine right now Ruth's anxiousness. She did all of that. Everything was going well. Boaz didn't kick her out. She got there. He says, I'll redeem you. You give your heart to the Lord, and everything is great. They celebrate. You get baptized. Everything is great. And then the twist comes. Issues start happening in your marriage. Then the twist comes. Something starts happening with your children. Then the twist comes. You lose your job. 
And you're like, everything was good just a week ago. Shout out, Kanye. I don't like Kanye. That, just, that was in my head for that moment. But everything was good. And at the end of the day, this twist comes. What's Ruth thinking right now? What if he doesn't marry me? What if this doesn't really happen? This is what her mother-in-law says. She replied, wait. And this wait is like, don't stress yourself. Don't be anxious. The Bible tells us that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, bring your request to God. Wait. Be still. Yeah, everything may not seem to be working out like you thought it was going to. Things started going really good for you, and then the twist happens. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, meaning he is not going to He's not going to kick back. He's going to be constantly moving. He's going to be constantly working towards this end. He said, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And here goes the thing about hope. Point number four. Hope remains steady even in the face of uncertainty. She didn't know what was going to happen next. She didn't know whether, was, whether Boaz was actually going to marry her. But her mother-in-law tell her, hey, we've got hope. Be still. I love the text in the Bible. God says, be still and know that I am God. And when God is for you and when God is at work, you can be confident that he is working out everything for your good and for his glory. You can have that assurance of hope. You can have that hope. Why? Because at the end of the day, hope works. Hope works. Think about it. If you got a job in here, you get up every day and go to work. Because at the end of the period, what do you hope for? What do you hope for? Your paycheck. When, when, when you asked Jennifer to marry you, you hoped that she would say yes, so you went forward with it. If you were unsure whether she was going to say yes or not, I guarantee you probably wouldn't have asked her. Hope works. When you're studying for a test, the reason you study because you believe that when you take the test, you're hoping for a good grade. Hope works. And here goes the deal, guys. We need to move from wishful thinking to hopeful action. We need to move from wishful thinking to hopeful action. We need to move from wishful thinking to hopeful action in our lives. Some of us are just stuck in a rut. And we don't understand why we're not progressing. We don't understand why we're not going anywhere. Why our lives aren't changing? Because we need to move from wishful thinking to hopeful action. We need to move from wishful thinking to hopeful action in our careers. Some of us are stuck in a job that we hate, in a situation that we can't stand. And we need to stop wishful thinking, I wish my situation would change, and you need to step out on faith. We don't know what's going to happen, but guess what? Hope works. 
It doesn't remain idle. Some of us need to move from wishful thinking and hope for action in our relationship. Why isn't my relationship changing? Because you're not working towards it, because hope works. But most of all, we need to move from wishful thinking to hopeful action in our faith. We need to stop wishing that we had the faith that grandma had. We need to stop wishing that we had the faith that the preacher has. Truth be told, I struggle too. We need to stop for wishful thinking that, man, I wish I can understand the Bible because hope will lead to action. And it says, I'm going to crack open this word and I'm going to keep digging into it. I'm going to keep digging into it. And eventually, hope's going to work. God is going to speak to my life. And maybe there's somebody here who's not putting their hope and trust in Jesus. You've heard about him. You've gone to church. People talk about him. You see people excited about Jesus Christ. See, we're not like Ruth. We're, we're, we're not doing everything right and come and say, oh, Jesus, put your wing over me. I'm good. I've done everything right. No, we're messy. We're out there looking for the alternative. We're out there looking for everything to give us satisfaction. We're looking for money. We're looking for sex. We're looking for drugs. We're looking for anything to give us satisfaction. And Jesus says, I'm here. You don't even have to ask to be redeemed. Just accept me in your life because I redeemed you 2,000 years ago. I'm ready. Come home. And so if you're in here, I just want to invite you to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Because he's already redeemed you and he's just ready for you. to. He's waiting for you to come home. If you feel the tug on your heart, just accept it. Everybody here, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And Maybe there's somebody in here who needs to give their heart to Jesus Christ for the first time. And this is what I want you to do. I just want you to repeat after me. Jesus is the hope of the world. God, I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins. Jesus, I want to accept this gift that you've given me to redeem everything that Satan has stolen from me. And I willingly give myself over to you. Teach me to hope in you and show me, Jesus, the silver lining in my life, in my faith, so that I can continue to move towards you every day. I believe in you, I trust you, and I put my hope and faith in you. It is in Jesus' name, in your name we pray.